opportunities make life interesting, don't they? Opportunities can uh, inspire hope. They can inspire dreams and vision and new things, new thoughts, new attitudes, new ambitions and endeavors. Uh, opportunities can uh, bring life and refreshment. We had the opportunity to have Trevor here with us, and that's been a great opportunity to have him here to minister to us. So thank you, Trevor, uh, for being here. I'm a big sports fan, and uh, I think sports are kind of built on opportunity. Uh, sports are entertaining, and, um, and I'm drawn into sports because of opportunities and missed opportunities. And this last week, uh, we actually watched uh, as a staff, don't tell Pastor Terry because he's on vacation. But uh, it's World Cup right now, and uh, the game actually, the final I think is on right now. Don't check your phones or anything because I don't want to distract you. But the semi-final, uh, England was playing Croatia on Wednesday, and Valerie's from England, and you know it was a thing you know for her to watch soccer. It was a big, uh, a big interest of her dad's. Uh, I was cheering for England, and my kids asked, "Why are you cheering for England?" Well, we've got Scottish heritage, and they don't really ever make it to the World Cup. And we live in Canada, and we don't ever really make it to the World Cup. So England was kind of like the next best thing, so I was cheering for England. And so we knew that England was playing on Wednesday against Croatia in the semifinals. And if they won, they'd go on to the finals, and they didn't win. But, you know, that game was sort of built on opportunities and missed opportunities. Five minutes into the game, England had a free kick in goal-scoring range, right? And so the, the fans were on on the edge of their seats, kind of waiting to see what would happen, and England scored, and you know, they erupted and started singing God Save the Queen and all this crazy stuff that English soccer fans do. I don't know what she has to do with the game, but they <laughs> sing that. And so it was one nothing, and they played the rest of the half, and they had a few more chances, they didn't score. Uh, but Croatia was starting to look more and more like they were getting it together, and, and they were, you know, kind of leading in possession, and second half came, and, and England had a glorious opportunity to make it 2-0, the forward had snuck in behind the defense, and he was all alone in front of the net, like literally two feet, he hammered it off the post, and it ricocheted off the goalie, and another defender, and out of bounds, and, and so there's a missed opportunity, and, uh, and from that point on, Croatia kind of took over. They tied it up and, and ended up winning in extra time. But the opportunities were what made that game interesting to watch. And as a sports fan, you can watch almost any sport and kind of look for those opportunities. And when the team seizes the opportunity and makes the most of it, or when they blow the opportunity and, you know, tragedy and they lose the game and whatever it might be. Uh, opportunities exist in sports, but they also exist in life. Um, if you're like me, maybe you get the Western Wheel every week and you pull out all the flyers and you look for the opportunities to save money. <laughs> Toilet paper's on sale this week. <laughs> or maybe you're looking for a new vehicle or a house or whatever it might be and that opportunity shows up and you can take advantage of it and seize it and, uh, and embrace new realities and new things with these new opportunities. Or maybe it's a job or a circumstance in life or a new friendship that's being sparked or that first date that you're looking forward to. You know, these new opportunities are everywhere. For the next few weeks, we're talking about living on mission with Jesus. And in our journey with Jesus as we follow him, opportunities have a lot to do with our, our walk with him and this idea of living on mission with him. Jesus is at work in the world around us. And he is on mission. He's reaching people. 
And he's inviting us to go with him into people's lives and seize the opportunities that he's placing before us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Last week, Pastor Tim started us off talking about the heart to live on mission and to, to have a love like God, a love for all people. And so hopefully that heart you know, has been stirred and now you're, you're ready to talk about opportunities. Where can I follow Jesus on mission and seize the opportunities that he's put before us? So we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 to 37. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there or uh, open up your device to, to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It will also be on the screen, I believe, and you can follow along that way. Uh, so let me just read. This is probably a familiar story to many, uh, but uh, paints a great picture of this idea of uh, seizing the opportunities to live on mission with Jesus. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. Let's just pause and pray. Let's invite Jesus to speak to us from this passage this morning. So Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you are on mission in the lives of people around us, and you invite us to join you in that mission. We invite you this morning to speak to us as we consider this idea of the opportunities that might be before us, and as we look at this passage of scripture, and specifically this story of uh, this Samaritan, as you told it, and as it's recorded in Luke chapter 10, we invite you to take your truth that you desire us to hear this morning, and speak it deep into our hearts. We'll do our best to open our ears to listen and to hear from you, and we just invite you to speak, and then fill us with your spirit, so that we would be able to respond in the ways that you desire for us. So help us to hear what you have in mind for us today. We pray in your name. Amen. So I want to start with this question, who is my neighbor? 
In Luke 10, verse 29, the lawyer asks this question after kind of interacting and kind of bantering with Jesus about, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he recaps the great commandments, which actually Pastor Tim mentioned last week as well, this idea of heart, you know, heart permission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's that second one that we're really going to talk about today, and it's the second one that this lawyer is kind of pushing back on and he says in verse 29 that the lawyer wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And kind of what he's asking there is, is there limits to who I need to love? Because as a good Jewish person, they're very concerned about people who were in and people who were out. People who were Jewish and people who were non-Jewish. and Things that were clean and things that were unclean. And so this lawyer is kind of thinking as a good Jewish person, you know, who do I need to stay away from? And who does this law actually apply to? If I was to love my neighbor, who exactly is my neighbor? And so as we consider his question and maybe think, wow, he's pretty bold in asking that kind of question, maybe ask that question of ourselves. Who is my neighbor? And as you ask that question, put yourself in the lawyer's shoes and say, is there any limits on who I am to love? Who I am to reach out to and love as my neighbor? Think of people who are different from you, maybe different political views, or different ethnic backgrounds, or different religious backgrounds, or people in a different social sphere, social status in our culture and in our world. Do you have any limits on the people that you're willing to love as your neighbor? Could you put yourself in the lawyer's shoes this morning and just ask that question and say, who is my neighbor? Am I limiting my love? Am I putting limits on who I'm willing to love in Jesus' name? So kind of contemplate that question, and then let's look at how Jesus responds to this man. So he goes on and he tells this story, which really unpacks the law of loving your neighbor. If we're going to look at this, you know, as the second of the two commandments, love your neighbor as yourself, the law of loving your neighbor, Jesus doesn't give a big sermon, he tells a story paint a picture of what this is all about. So listen to this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And just pause there and just think for a moment that location here uh, is, is interesting. Jerusalem was kind of like the religious hub of the nation. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a well-worn road. And what we have here is a man, he's leaving Jerusalem, sort of the religious center. He's moving away from it, away from where the temple would be, uh, away from the city of Jerusalem, towards Jericho, and he's on this well-traveled road. And on that road, it says he was attacked by robbers, which isn't really uncommon because it was such a highly populated road or highway, if you want to call it that. Um, thieves and robbers would be looking for opportunity to make a little cash and to make a little money and to do what they can, um, and so they would, they would attack people and rob them. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, and they left him half dead. So just picture on the side of the road, probably in a ditch, this man lying there. He's been robbed, he's been beat up, he's been stripped, he looks like a mess. So here's this man. Then enter three different people into the scene. The first is a priest in verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
interesting that Jesus would say a priest who was like the most religious person in Jerusalem, in the, in the Jewish nation, and so he would be thought of as a really highly important person. And so this priest is walking down the road, sees this man, chooses to go on the other side of the road and keep walking. The priest put limits on who he was willing to love in Jesus' name. Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, a Levite would be sort of the next one in line to being the religious leader or, you know, the picture stereotype of a religious person in Jerusalem. The Levite probably had a role in the temple service as well, the temple ministry, uh, but not to the, uh, to the level of the priest. And so this Levite, a very religious person, is walking down the road, sees the man in need who's been beat up and left for dead, and it says that he passes by on the other side. So two people have seen him, two people have passed him by. Verse 33, but, that's an important word, but, the story's starting to shift. A Samaritan. Now, there's a lot of uh, kind of irony here. Because uh, for a Jewish listener who's just heard a story about a priest and a Levite, I know they're not walking into a bar, it's not a joke, it's not, you know, we're not waiting for a punchline here. But this priest, this Levite, they would expect the next person in line would be an all the other Jews, or an everyday, average, ordinary Jew. That would be the third person in the story. That's what they would expect to hear. But Jesus invites this Samaritan into the story, and the Samaritans of all people are highly disliked by the Jews. There's such a, a divide between the Jews and the Samaritans that they don't even associate with each other. And to just maybe unpack that a bit, you might know the story in John chapter 4 when Jesus goes to a well, and uh, at the well he meets this Samaritan woman, and she's there by herself. She's there by herself for a reason. Because all the Jewish ladies would have been to the well already, and they would have left, and she would have waited until they were gone before she could go, because they don't associate with each other. And so Jesus has this interaction with a Samaritan woman, and his disciples come back, and they say, Jesus, do you know who you're talking to? This is, like, you're blowing our minds here. We don't associate with these people. And so here in Luke 10, back into our story, a Samaritan is introduced. So a priest passes by, a Levite passes by, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he didn't pass by, it says he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I'll just pause there too. He's probably very literally taking care of this man. He's bandaging his wounds. He's pouring on oil and wine to, to help this man, to bring healing to him. But that's also a picture uh, to a Jewish listener, they might associate that with some of the, the language from Isaiah or Jeremiah, where God rescues his people by binding up their wounds. And this image of oil and wine is, is image from the temple, and this idea of God rescuing his people. So here we have a Samaritan of all people, an outsider of outsiders, is actually being used by God as an agent of God to bring healing to this man in need. Jesus is just messing with this lawyer's mind. I can just imagine what the lawyer's thinking. He's probably enraged at this story. Then the man put the man, this man in need that had been beat up, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus finishes the story and he says, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. The Samaritan is the hero in this story. And Jesus is kind of reversing the question that the lawyer had at the beginning. Who is my neighbor? And what Jesus is saying is, who was a neighbor to the man in need? Don't worry about limiting who uh, should get your love, who your neighbor is. Worry about being a neighbor to the people in need. And so a question that might come out of this story as we're contemplating this, and we think about these three different characters, this priest, this Levite, this Samaritan, a question for you, a question for me. Am I more concerned about looking religious or loving people? The priest and the Levite were probably concerned with things that were clean and unclean and ceremonially, you know, if I touch this man who might actually die, then I would be considered unclean and I'd have to go through this whole ceremonial cleansing and washing in order to fulfill my priestly duties again. That might have been going through the priest's mind. I'm not touching him. He's unclean. What's that going to do for me? I, I won't be able to fulfill my religious duty. The priest and the Levite were concerned about looking religious. The Samaritan, Samaritan was concerned about loving people. And Jesus is trying to drive home the point that the Samaritan is the hero in this story. So it leads us to maybe a final question to consider this morning. Am I a good neighbor? Am I a good neighbor? As I look at this story, am I more concerned about being religious or more concerned with loving people? Verse 37, Jesus, uh, sorry, the expert in the law replied to Jesus' question, you know, who was a neighbor to the man in need? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Be a good neighbor. So am I a good neighbor? As we think about that, let me just think of uh, some different parts of our body to think about this idea of being a good neighbor. What does it take to be a good neighbor? So let's start with the eyes. Each of the individuals in this story saw the need. They saw the opportunity, right? The opportunity to be on mission with Jesus. There was a person who could beat up and left at the side of the road for dead. And a good neighbor will see the opportunity, will see the person in need. So think about the journey of life that you're on and the path that you take. You probably don't travel the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But you travel many different roads in your life. As we leave this place today, you will drive a road maybe to your home, or maybe to a restaurant, or maybe to a golf course where I'm going later today, or wherever you might find yourself, you'll take a path somewhere. Who's on that path? Who are you seeing? What needs do they represent? Tomorrow when you get up in the morning and you drive another path, you might drive to work, and you'll find yourself in a workplace with some people, or you'll be dealing with customers or whoever it might be, or you're dealing with kids that, you know, are there, and maybe they're friends that they've invited over to your house, or whatever happens there in your neighborhood, or if you're involved in a sports team or a music group, or you know, wherever you find yourself on the path of life, who are the people that God's placed in your path, and what are the needs that they have in their life? 
I was at both a funeral and a wedding this weekend and interacted with a lot of different people. And as I interacted with people, I realized like everybody has a need of some sort. Everybody has something going on in their life. And so a good neighbor sees the needs, sees the opportunities. But then a good neighbor doesn't just see them. The priest and the Levite saw the needs and they moved on. They're not good neighbors. A good neighbor has heart. The Samaritan, it says in verse 33, as the Samaritan traveled along, he came to the place where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion. His heart was moved. He saw a need, and, and something happened inside of him that motivated him to do something. And in order to have a heart to respond, I believe sometimes in our own nature we might be able to do that, but I really think it takes an encounter with Jesus to have a heart for the people that we come across in our lives. It takes an encounter with Jesus to have a heart like his. Last week, Pastor Tim talked about the heart that Jesus has for all people to come to him. You know, you read the Gospels and you read the stories of Jesus and how he interacted with people. He was loving people all the time. And a good neighbor has a heart like Jesus. And so for us, if we want to be good neighbors, we need to have an encounter with Jesus so that we can have a heart like his. So when you see, when you picture these people in your life on the paths that you take, is your heart responding? And if it's not, why not? Maybe you need to spend some time with Jesus and let his heart rub off on yours. And lastly, a good neighbor has eyes, has a heart, but a good neighbor uses their hands and feet. They become the hands and feet of Jesus. The Samaritan man was an agent of God used to minister to this person in need. And Jesus is inviting us to join him on mission to see the people in our lives, to be moved to respond, and then to use our hands and feet to actually put love into action. The Samaritan did some things to take care of this person. And the challenge for us this morning, Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise. You want to be a good neighbor? See the need. Have that heart to respond. Let Jesus' heart rub off on yours. But then you got to go and do something about it. So with that, let's pray and invite the Spirit to lead us in what that might look like in our lives. And invite the worship team to come and lead us in response. Why don't we stand and let me just pray. <coughs> Jesus, we thank you that you are always at work in the lives of people around us. You are on mission, drawing people to yourself, looking for people who need you, need a touch from you. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to join you on that mission, to see the opportunities that exist in our lives, to be able to go out from here and travel the, the paths that we take. Help us to see the needs of people that we interact with. And then help us to have a heart like yours, to be able to not just see them for us, but to see them the way you see them, and to let our heart respond the way your heart might respond for those people. Move us with compassion. And then lead us by your Holy Spirit in what it looks like to reach out in love, to put love into action, to use our hands and feet to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Holy Spirit, you know each one of us personally in this room. You know the people that we interact with. You know the work that you're doing in their lives already, and you know the ways that you'd like to invite us in 
and to, to be a part of the journey with them. So open our ears to hear your whispers in our life. Open our eyes to see what you're doing around us. Soften our hearts to be moved by you. And give us strength to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.